is where everything begins, begins again. Welcome to the Mid the Pines podcast, a place where Grove City College alumni and faculty give voice to their unique stories, contributions, and accomplishments. Our community is blessed with many individuals who are often recognized for their proficiency, purpose, and principles, all celebrated hallmarks of the distinctive Grove City College education. Learn more about their God-given callings and the work they are undertaking for the common good. These are their personal and professional stories. Hi everyone, this is Zach Jew, class of 2011 and current development officer at Grove City College. Today I'm joined by alumnus Dr. Randy Wilbur, class of 1976. Randy's one of our most accomplished alumni, uh, having received the college's Jack Kennedy Memorial Alumni Achievement Award in 2013. He currently serves as a senior sports physiologist at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. In his current role, he works closely with Team USA athletes and coaches in the areas of altitude training heat and humidity acclimatization, blood chemistry analysis, overtraining, international air travel, and exercise-induced asthma. In more than 20 years with the USOC, he has supported Team USA at 11 Olympic Games from 2002 through this past year's Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. Randy holds a bachelor's degree in history from Grove City College, an MA in history from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and an MS and PhD in exercise physiology from Florida State University. Randy, welcome to the Mid the Pines podcast. Thanks, Zach. Great to be here. So, Randy, we've we've known each other for for a few years now, and uh, and I've always found it so interesting that you've gone from being a history major at Grove City College to serving as an exercise physiology expert with Team USA. Uh, a very different path, I think, than than many take, perhaps. You know, you've told me it, it's really started when you were a kid reading a coffee table book on the Olympics, right? That's correct. Yeah, my uh, my path to Colorado Springs has been, uh, I think, the best word to describe it, circuitous. <laughs> it has not been a straight line, but uh, it has been a very uh, rewarding, gratifying, interesting road, and uh, it did. It started uh, on my eighth birthday. Uh, my mom and dad uh, gave me what was, in effect, a coffee table book entitled The Olympics, Past and Present. And it was uh, about a half an inch thick. It was full of pictures, but it was also full of essential text describing the ancient Olympic Games and the philosophy behind the ancient Olympic Games and bridging that up to the modern Olympic Games and some of the highlights and some of the great athletes that have competed in those games. So when I looked at that book and I read that book, uh, the first thing that resonated with me was the philosophy behind the games, going all the way back to the ancient games in uh, the ancient uh, area of uh, Greece and the Peloponnese. And the thinking was that all fighting, all negative interaction between various groups living in uh, ancient Greece at that time would cease and desist for a period of several weeks. And during that time, all city-states in Greece were encouraged to send forward their best athletes 
men only and uh, compete in various sports or various events, some of which we still have today. For example, the discus. Uh, we can go back to ancient Greece and see, you know, uh, paintings of athletes throwing the discus. So that concept really resonated with me of people coming together in friendly competition and then hopefully going back to their city states and having a different perspective on the people that many times they were going to battle against trying to kill. And that, of course, is the philosophy that we still bridge to today with the modern Olympic Games. That uh, made a huge impression on me as an eight-year-old boy, and I couldn't couldn't get enough of, of the Olympics, both ancient and modern. Uh, it probably led me to the two sports I'd love to participate in and the two sports I'm still very close to today and sports uh, that I work with the Olympic team on, and that was uh, cross-country running uh, in the fall and then uh, indoor track in the winter and outdoor track in the summer at Grove City College. I had a great experience with Coach John Barr in cross country and Coach Jim Longnecker in uh, track and field. I was uh, a track coach and cross country coach right out of Grove City College down in Florida. Uh, I was reading a lot, attending a lot of clinics, trying to improve my skill set as a coach to provide uh, better expertise to the to the young uh, men and women I was coaching. And uh, I came across a book. The title was uh, Exercise Physiology of Distance Running. I didn't even know what exercise physiology was, but I knew what distance running was, and it really changed my career path. My plan coming out of Grove City was uh, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. So I was at 10 years into my career, and my original plan was, okay, you know, Grove City College, I have a degree in history, minor in political science. I have my teaching credentials. Uh, you know what? Law school is probably the logical <laughs> choice. And I was pretty well down that road. I had taken the LSATs. I had applied to a half a dozen uh, law schools, got accepted. I was into a couple of pretty good law schools. And I did reach a point where I sat down with the probably the five most important people in my life. And I asked them, where do you see me in my life and my career? And all of them came back pretty much immediately. And they said, exercise physiology. And that convinced me. And I ended my high school teaching and coaching career. Sadly, I might say, I, I mean, I loved doing that, but I knew it was time to move forward and to challenge myself in another part of my career. So at that point, when I was looking into exercise physiology, trying to make up my mind, I cold called to Florida State and I got a secretary. It was in the summertime and nobody was there and she patched me through to the only guy that was in the building. Uh, his name was Dr. Bob Moffitt. And I told him, here's who I am. Here's what I do. I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. I'm thinking about this exercise physiology thing. And 
I was just about ready to hang up the phone. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, you know what? That's interesting. He said, that's kind of the career path that I followed, too. He said, I, I was an English major and I came out with a bachelor's degree. I stumbled around. I went in the army. I came out of the army uh, <clears throat> and was in the army. He was exposed somehow to exercise physiology came out of the army and gets a PhD from Michigan and starts a career in exercise physiology. So we hit it off immediately, plus the fact that he's uh, he's a Pittsburgh guy too. Sure. So uh, again, I think God Almighty was looking over that phone conversation <laughs> and linked us up and he said, why don't you come up to Tallahassee and I'll show you around and we'll talk and, you know, we'll We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. And that's what I did. I went up. He told me, listen, he said, <laughs> you're going to have to go back and kind of start uh, at the level of a junior in the at the baccalaureate level. You're going to have to take, you know, organic chemistry and biochemistry and this and that and everything else. He says it's going to take you a lot longer just to get a master's degree. And I said, that's fine. Uh, I'm committed to working hard. Uh, if you give me a chance, the exercise physiology of uh, distance running, I read that thing and it really resonated with me like the, mm -hmm. the coffee table book when I was eight years old. And it was unbelievable. I think God Almighty was looking over me when I was reading that book. I turned to the back of it and there's a little bio in there on the author. And sure. the author was a guy named Dr. David Costell. And anybody in exercise physiology knows that David Costell is an absolute icon in the field. He's retired now. But, uh, you know, when I read that book that he had wrote, I'd look in the back and the bio starts. Dr. David Costell started his career as a high school swimming coach. <laughs> <laughs> then he got interested in exercise physiology. Sure. He stopped his career as a high school coach and went on to the Ohio State University to earn his PhD in exercise physiology. And I'm like, well, geez, if that isn't, you know, somebody hitting me over the head with a two by four <laughs> and telling me to do the same thing, I don't know what is. So sure. I got into Florida State. I started there. You know, I got my master's uh, within, uh, I think, uh, two and a half uh, years. And then uh, Dr. Moffin and I thought uh, uh, it would be good to stay right there at Florida State and do my PhD. I wanted to work with athletes, you know, as I had uh, as a as a coach at the high school level. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to develop my PhD completely around that. It was during that time, uh, I think I had about two years to go in my PhD program. Uh, and one of my colleagues uh, came into our our little uh, office in the lab where the grad students uh, worked. And he says, hey, Wilbur, uh, take a look at this. Uh, uh, you ought to apply for this. And I says, well, what is it? And he said, it's a postdoctoral program at the United States Olympic Training Center in Colorado mm -hmm. Springs. And he flopped it on my desk and I read it and I said, you know what? I like this. I said, this, this does look good. I said, I think I could be a good candidate for this. So I put together uh, an application, sent off all my stuff. 
didn't hear a darn thing back from sure. <laughs> not one thing and in a way i wasn't surprised and i wasn't disappointed because i still had a lot of work on my uh dissertation sure. my phd and, right. yeah. yeah and i was teaching uh you know in the grad school and the medical school i had a lot on my plate and it would have been a tough decision. Basically, I would have had to stop completely doing my PhD, and I didn't want to do that. So, uh, but the next year, I was uh, in a better position. I was better prepared, and boom, I got on the short list. I got an interview, and I was offered one of two positions, one being for a male, one being for a female, and I've been, uh, been here uh, ever since. My first year, I was a postdoc, and then after that, I was offered a permanent job, but the postdoc year uh, counted as, you know, my total numbers of years out here. So I'm 29, uh, going on uh, 30 in a couple sure. of weeks here. I'm, yeah. I'm very, very proud of that. Uh, you don't just sign up to be on Team USA. You have to be sure. selected. Uh, and, you know, you have to be enrolled in the uh, official uh, Olympic team delegation that goes to the games. And that's a specific number of people. It's uh, relatively rigorous, as you might imagine. And and uh, and you've you've trained a number of athletes and some of the names that our listeners would probably uh, recognize uh, Michael Phelps, Katie Ledecky, Paulo Ono, and many others. Of course, you you travel before they even get to different sites. What is your role at US OPC for the athletes? What are you training them in, and and how are you helping them prepare their bodies for the Olympic Games? I'm embedded uh, with the athletes and the coaches. Again, you know, uh, I coached uh, either at the high school or the uh, uh, the university level there at UW-Eau Claire for 10 years. And although at the time I thought, geez, I, I'm really sad I have to give this up, I realized when I started working here that, you know, I never give that up. And it's been a very, very important component of my skill set here is that I am a coach. I am an athlete or I was a coach. I was an athlete. I speak that language. Yeah, I speak exercise physiology. I can talk about what I read in the Journal of Applied Physiology, et cetera, et cetera. But unless I'm able to kind of translate that and speak to the coaches and to the athletes in their language, then I'm ineffective. So I'm embedded with coaches and athletes, and I work with them uh, on any number of things. So, for example, my day later today you know, I have scheduled the uh, USA weightlifting team is getting ready to go to their world championships. And it was originally scheduled for China. It was canceled because of the pandemic and the lockdown they have over there. And it was rescheduled to all places, Bogota, Colombia at 8,660 feet above oh, wow. sea level. Sure. And so they're here the next two weeks, and I am working with them in a what's called uh, an altitude acclimatization program. So they're here in Colorado Springs. We're at about 6,100 feet. So that's step one. But also here at the Olympic Training Center, 
we have what is called the High Altitude Training Center. And it is a very, very large uh, space uh, in which we can put athletes in and we can simulate altitude. That is, we can take them up the mountain as high as 20,000 feet. So it's uh, kind of uh, an altitude experience or an altitude uh, chamber, if you will. And I'm working with them on that uh, in terms of how long, how hard, how many hours, uh, what can we do, what should we not do, as well as uh, looking at uh, strategies to prepare them for uh, some of the side effects they'll feel when they get to Bogota, like headache, uh, dehydration, uh, some of those things, restless sleep. So just making sure that they're fully prepared and most importantly, fully physiologically acclimatized mm -hmm. to where they're going and competing. They have to do well next week in Bogota in order to get the required spaces or slots that are needed for Paris 2024. Most of the athletes I work with are from USA track and field and USA swimming, sure. but you know I'll help any and all athletes that are on the team. And uh, but it's a very close sort of embedded type of uh, situation that I work with on the day to day here in uh, Colorado Springs. You really consider the Olympic Games not only as uh, an elite athletic competition between countries, but we've talked uh, you and I about the Olympic Games is more, uh, too, about striving for international peace. Yeah, thanks, Zach, for bringing that up. Again, that goes back to, you know, when I was eight years old. And, you know, that that concept resonated with me. And, you know, again, it was uh, reinforced in that that book uh, by the, uh, the story of uh, Jesse Owens. You know, the great Jesse Owens uh, in the 1936 Games in Berlin when uh, the Nazi regime was was rising, was really in control of, of that country. And unfortunately, we know the rest of that story. But uh, the story in this coffee table book uh, about the 36 games was Jesse Owens and his friendship with uh, his German competitor in the long jump, a guy named Lutz Long. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a true story. And, you know, there's there's film and there's pictures of it today. In the qualifying round, in the long jump, uh, Jesse Owens was struggling. He had three jumps, you know, to get in the pit and get far enough out in the pit that he would make the finals the next day. And his first two jumps were fouls. And his, his competitor, the guy he was trying to beat, came over to him, Lutz Long from Germany. He said, Jesse, he says, I'm watching you. I, I can see what you're doing wrong. Uh, here's the adjustment I would suggest that you make. Here's a guy who's trying to beat him. Do you believe him? <laughs> or, or is he going <laughs> to mess you up even more? And Jesse Owens took the suggestion at heart. He went back. He made the adjustment. He adjusted his starting point. He came down, full sprint, hit the board, 100% clean, out into the pit, a legal jump. He's into the finals. And the next day, you know, the finals, uh, Jesse Owens wins the gold, Lutz Long wins the silver. 
and the rest of the story is is very very poignant in the fact that Lutz Long had to go into the the service in Germany during World War II, and he was in their navy, and uh, he was uh, on one of the U-boats. Uh, he was a U-boat crew member, and that U-boat was destroyed by uh, either a British or an American destroyer. And, and Lutz Long went down with his ship. And a few years later, after the war and after things had settled down, Jesse Owens returned to Berlin and through, you know, basically the rubble and the reconstruction of Berlin, he over several days was able to track down the widow and the young son of Lutz Long. And Jesse Owens was not a rich man, but from that day forward, he reserved a certain percentage of his income to support the widow and the son of his now deceased good friend and competitor, Lutz Long of Germany. So those are the types of things and stories uh, that surround Olympic sport that I think separate it from other sort of elite sports like the National Football League and the NBA. I'm not saying there aren't stories like that, but uh, again, if if you're competing against somebody from another country for a gold medal, I think that's a little different than the Milwaukee Bucks against the New York Knicks. Uh, I might be wrong, but uh, it's stories like that 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 really make the the Olympics and the Paralympics uh, very very special. You had an encounter in Moscow, uh, right? Very similar several years ago. It was uh, the summer of 2013. It was the uh, World Track and Field Outdoor uh, Championships in Moscow at uh, the very, very famed uh, Lenin Stadium. And uh, it was the day of the men's marathon. I was uh, part of the support crew for the marathon that day. I was assisting at the water station or the water Gatorade station. During the marathon in the Olympics or the world championships, you don't just stand along the side of the road and hand out bottles. There is a very, very specific set of tables along the course and you have to hand out the specifically identified water bottles or Gatorade bottles for each of your athletes after they've been inspected and after the officials are sure that there are no substances or fluids mm -hmm. that contain performance enhancing drugs in those bottles. So sure. it's a very strict, rigorous protocol. And part of that is that every country who has an athlete in the marathon, in this case at the World Championships on that day, you have a specific spot in that set of tables in alphabetical order. And there is a big sign with your country's flag and your country's three letter symbol. For us, it was USA, of course. So I go to the table that day and on my left, interestingly, was Ukraine. And, you know, I got along with those guys. I knew those guys from, from previous games. But uh, I often think now, today, 
where those guys are, what they're doing, what are they dealing with. But the point of my story was actually on the other side. There was Ukraine, followed by USA, followed by Vietnam. The USA, we had probably five people, you know, three sports med docs, me, you know, an athletic trainer. We had everything. We had a couple of chests of ice. We were able to keep our drinks cold, you know, the whole thing. I look to my right. There's one guy, Vietnam, the coach, one guy handling it all. And he only had one runner. And that runner was fairly good. But about halfway through the race, uh, the Vietnamese coach ran out of fluids. He didn't have any more bottles to give out. He didn't have ice. He didn't have anything except encouragement. And it was a hot, hot and humid day. And unfortunately, because of international TV, they were holding the marathon right in the middle of the day. So it was tough conditions. So I looked over and I, you know, couldn't communicate with them in language, but I, you know, I just started feeding them bottles, feeding them bottles, feeding them bottles. They had all been checked off and approved. And he was able to feed those bottles and ice and and whatever we had to his single runner. And uh, the single runner uh, finished, did well. He was very happy. He was very proud. But uh, as we were tearing down and getting ready to go, uh, I asked a friend, you know, if he would take a picture of me and the Vietnamese coach. And uh, again, I couldn't uh, communicate with him. Uh, he could not communicate with me, but uh, we were about the same age. And I thought to myself that here's a guy who for sure was affected by the Vietnam War lost family and friends as I had. And when we shook hands, yeah, we couldn't communicate in language, but we sure communicated with that handshake. It was pure, raw emotion in that handshake. But the message was, uh, yeah, 20, 30, years ago, we were trying to kill each other or kill our colleagues, you know, colleagues were trying to kill each other in brutal war, but that's over and life goes on. And the goal now is friendship and peace. And I felt very fortunate that day to experience that because again, that goes back to Cooper Tan's belief that the Olympic Games are all about peace and friendly competition and establishing friendships and relationships that are based on peace or that are based on healing the wounds of war. And for me, that was uh, the epic moment in my life and my career in terms of what the Olympics are really, really all about. Uh, I'll never, ever forget that handshake. And I'm glad that I have a picture to remind me about it on a regular basis. What a, an awesome example of uh, of what our alumni are, have done and are doing uh, every single day. 
part of our mission is that we want to send young men and women into the world uh, to really make a, a huge difference in the lives of the people around them, whether they're in Vietnam or whether they're in uh, Pennsylvania or, or Texas or, or anywhere around the world. Grove City College's Department of Graduate and Online Programs prepares its students to become leaders across a wide range of career and professional pursuits and provides an opportunity to achieve an advanced degree under the guidance of expert faculty mentors. Accredited by the Middle States Commission on Higher Education, the 30-credit Master of Science in Accounting, 30-credit Graduate Master of Science in Business Analytics, and the 39-credit Online Masters of Business Administration offer students the freedom to pursue excellence in their chosen field. These programs have been designed to equip students with advanced technical and theoretical skills to excel in a wide range of industries and professions, while also providing an ethical, moral perspective on relevant topics and trends. If you would like to learn more about the graduate and online programs at Grove City College, please go to www.gcc.edu. So we're here talking to, to Dr. Randy Wilbur, class of 1976. Randy, the stories you're sharing are simply incredible. Uh, their, their testimony, I think, of just the insight into the human spirit, the care for your fellow man, your desire to see those around you succeed, and, and to really uh, think about uh, how, we, how we look about international peace. As you consider all that you've experienced in your career, what's next? As I uh, get to the close of my career, mentorship is a, a very, very important uh, priority. It's uh, a responsibility that I think uh, everyone has to take on in the latter stage of their career. With a few more years to go in my career, yeah, mentorship is huge. Not only mentorship to my uh, young colleagues here in Colorado Springs, but mentorship at a higher level or a different level, I should say, and that is uh, my involvement with the International Olympic Committee and uh, their mantra of Olympic solidarity. And by that, we mean uh, each nation that is a member of the Olympic family, be it a big nation like ours with a lot of athletes or some of those little Pacific Island nations that walk in with one athlete carrying the flag and that's it. And uh, everything in between, you know, we are the Olympic family and we are committed to Olympic solidarity and especially, especially reaching out to those Pacific Island nations or countries like them that do not have all of God's blessings that the United States has in terms of people, talent, facilities, resources, etc. And I am hugely inspired. I have always been inspired by, say, the little boxer from Laos who doesn't have anything in terms of facilities or the weightlifter from Kyrgyzstan who puts cement in coffee cans and uses them as weights. And they end up on the podium with a bronze medal. Are you kidding me? How can you not be inspired by that? I'm very honored to have been selected to be a part of what is called the International Olympic Committee International Coaching 
Enrichment Certificate Program. It's a long name, but basically it involves the recruitment from around the world of about, let me see, I think we have 25 coaches, male, female, from underdeveloped progressing countries in Africa, the Middle East, even some from Eastern Europe, and the Pacific Islands. So these are people who go through this program. It's a year-long program. Uh, I'm involved with this uh, as not only an instructor and a lecturer in exercise physiology, but also uh, I'm uh, involved now as a mentor. It's just so inspiring and so gratifying to work with them. They have to propose and successfully complete a project that will be sustainable and will be productive within their countries, within their respective sports. Uh, and I am the person who is responsible for guiding them and mentoring them and make sure they get to the finish line so they can go to Lausanne, Switzerland next April, which is the headquarters of the International Olympic Committee, and they can go through their final presentation and defense of their project before the jury and uh, hopefully get the final approval of their project and defense and then successfully graduate with the IOC certificate in hand, which believe me, will open tons of doors for them when they go back to Barbados or Bangladesh or wherever uh, within their countries, having that IOC certificate will uh, have a huge impact on the advancement of their careers uh, and their lives. So it's it's just hugely gratifying, again, to to be able to work with people that don't have so much in terms of facilities, but uh, make up for it uh, with their their determination, their strength, their motivation, uh, their character, their dignity. It's just hugely, hugely inspiring to me. And uh, I'm really looking forward to working uh, in that program, possibly beyond retirement. I'm just uh, so committed to it that it really embodies that that philosophy of Olympic solidarity and helping others who are are less fortunate. So it combines uh, the the Christian Saint Franciscan ideal of helping those less fortunate than we are. We are tasked with that. We are expected to do that if we truly call ourselves uh, Christ-like or Christian. And uh, here is an opportunity to do that within the context of sport, something you know that I dearly love and am very passionate about. Yeah, and, and I know you're not one for name recognition, Randy, uh, of course, and, and you're leaving your legacy, but but gosh, it, it's just a... Just so cool to, to think that uh, the success that these coaches and future coaches will have have been mentored uh, by by you 
and and your legacy will live on in Barbados and Bangladesh and, and all these different countries. Again, not for name recognition, but for the continued spirit of of mentorship and coaching and uh, and bring together folks that that otherwise don't have a reason to be together uh, and that are going to make an impact in the countries that they go back to. That's that's just so cool. I've got some some questions from our listeners that came through. Uh, of the uh, 11 Olympic Games you participated in, I should say 12 Olympic Games, kind of the one that you went to after graduation, which one presented the most challenging training issues? That's a no-brainer. Uh, Tokyo 2020 and Beijing 2022 because of the lockdown, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was Tokyo in particular was was brutal. Uh, everything was uh, in lockdown mode. It was tough to train outdoors. It was more difficult to train indoors because of of uh, pandemic requirements. The Japanese uh, were very, very strict, understandably so. But uh, to try to put on and especially enjoy the Olympic Games was was really not possible. Another another listener asked which country was your favorite Olympic Games? Yeah, that's a, a good one. Uh, I, I can't boil it down to one. I'd have to say uh, right now, probably Athens 2004. It it was one of the games you didn't know if it was ever going to come off. I mean, they were putting sod in and painting rooms uh, in the Olympic Village, the <laughs> athlete village, uh, the day the athletes moved in. But once they started, I mean, the people of Greece were just, they packed all the venues. They were kind to everybody. They cheered every performance. You know, it was like a, a very festive atmosphere. People were happy. They enjoyed themselves. They enjoyed the competitions. And the most of all was, uh, you know, I, I think one of my, probably my most memorable summer games performance was uh, Meb Kofleski uh, getting a silver medal. Uh, in the men's marathon, the final day, the final event, he actually, when uh, those guys entered the stadium, it was the uh, 1896 Athens Olympic Stadium that they were finishing in. It wasn't the modern uh, Athens Stadium. It was the 1896 original stadium, and it was a clear night and a full moon. It was just epic. I think Paris has the potential to be a great, great Olympic Games. And, you know, I, I think it may end up at the top of my list when all is said and done. Yeah, speaking of Paris, of course, we've got about a year and a half uh, before the, or a little more than a year and a half before Paris 2024. What are you and the Team USA athletes doing to prepare for those Olympic Games? Uh, is there any insight into what our listeners can look forward to and seeing as the French prepare for for those Summer Games? Yeah, I've been to uh, to Paris uh, this past September. Fully confident they're going to do a great job. Uh, we'll have a uh, sort of a Paris-based uh, U.S. Olympic Training Center in the uh, Argentia section of Paris, which is kind of on the north side of Paris. It's only about 20 minutes from where the Olympic Stadium will be. I'll have responsibilities there. I'll also be in Samaritz, Switzerland in the weeks prior to the games. 
for our uh, altitude training base. Uh, I oversee the operation of that with our uh, distance runners and some of our other endurance athletes from other sports. So, yes, yeah, something to look for. Again, uh, I think this exemplifies the French and their joie de vie. The opening ceremony in Olympic Games, uh, the athletes walk in within their country's delegation. There is a person out front that's got the, the name of the country coming in in the host country's language, in this case, French, and then followed by the athletes selected from each country who has the great, great honor of carrying their country's flag. You know, each country comes in in alphabetical order based on the language of the host country. Uh, they come in, they walk around the track, and then they usually either sit down in the infield of the track or up in the stands, depending. If you've ever been to Paris, you know uh, the Seine River uh, flows through the city, and there's a section of the central historical part of the city where everything is there. The Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe, the Louvre, uh, the Place de la Concorde, the uh, uh, Tuileries Garden. I mean, it's all right there along the river. So what they're going to do is they're going to put the opening ceremony on the Seine River. The athletes will assemble on a barge. Each country will have their own barge or barges, and they will be decorated in their colors. And instead of walking into the stadium, they will flow down the Seine River and people can sit along the banks and watch the opening ceremony. So again, it's uh, it's purely French. Nobody's ever done it before, <laughs> done anything like this before. And I think uh, barring, you know, bad weather, it will be uh, it'll be spectacular. The French are going to do a great job. And uh, I think it's got the potential of being one of the, the great games in Olympic history. Well, Randy, it's it's been a pleasure hearing from you today. Thanks for sharing about uh, the Olympics and, and international peace through sport and, and letting us know what to look forward to. Uh, alumni, don't forget to follow along with Randy and Team USA as they prepare for the next Summer Olympic Games in Paris 2024. Zach, it was great dialogue. I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you continued success as well as my alma mater, Grove City College. Thank you for listening to the Mid the Pines podcast. Explore more episodes at alumni.gcc.edu slash podcast. Our co-producers are Joni Baumgartner and Amy Evans. Research provided by Janice Zinsner Inman, class of 1987. Audio editing is provided by Jennifer Hiles. Our theme music is Home, courtesy of the family of the late David M. Bailey, class of 1988. Contact us at alumni at for more information. We hope you'll join us again, Mid the Pines.